Yeah. I love these life transformation stories, and, and Alan's story particularly is, uh, actually goes to what we're going to be talking about today, because he found himself in a messy place and kind of made a mess of things, and how God not just changed, changed his life, but now has redeemed him in such a way that he has been able to, to relate to others um, in their messes, and it's really what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series called Everybody Always, and it's about learning to love people without restriction, without reservation, without hesitation just loving everybody always. And today we're gonna to be talking about loving people in their mess. Um, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. I'm glad for those of you who are joining us online, welcome, we're glad to have you with us. And actually those of you at Bethel, we're actually live streaming over to Bethel this morning too. So welcome, we're glad that you are with us. And, um, and, and, and I love this series and I love this book, by the way. If you haven't picked up a copy of this, I would highly encourage you to do this. Uh, Bob Goff's book, the title is Everybody Always. And uh, I told you last week, it will make you laugh, it will make you cry, but it will definitely challenge you in the way of learning how to truly love everybody always. And today we're gonna to be talking about this idea of loving people in their mess. And last week we looked at a couple of Jesus followers that he saw something in them and, and called something out of them, actually changed their names um, and, and they became fully what he saw in them. Today we're gonna to look at two others. They weren't disciples of Jesus. They came around a little bit later, but both of them experienced name changes as well. And, and their story, Barnabas and Paul, um, who actually their names were Joseph and Saul, uh, but their names were changed because of this interaction. And Barnabas particularly was one of those guys who knew and learned how to love people in their mess, and Paul was the mess. So we're gonna be looking at that together, Now I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna be jumping around a little bit, we're gonna be all through the book of Acts, so I'm gonna really kinda of have to have you track with me, can you do that? Yeah. Okay, that wasn't so assuring, let me tell you. Okay, we're gonna move around a little bit, and I need you to track with me, can you do that? Yeah. All right, okay, so we're on there. Um, so here's the idea. Loving people in their mess, here's some things you need to understand what it's gonna to take to do that. First of all, it may mean risking your own reputation because when you join people in their mess, you are there in the middle of it as well. And there's always a chance of your reputation maybe being tarnished because of that. But let's truly be honest, every one of us in this room are a mess on some level. Aren't we? We're, none of us has it all together. We are all messy people and we make messes and sometimes we're the messers and sometimes we're the messies. Um, sometimes we, we bring it on other people. Sometimes it's brought on us. But the truth is every one of us has mess in our life. Because we are, this, we are this kind of complex mixture of successes and failures, weaknesses and strengths, and, and because of that, we're a little bit messy sometimes. And, and I love um, Mike, Iaconelli wrote a book a while ago now called Messy Spirituality. And he writes about this whole idea of being people in process and, and, and being under construction, if you will. He writes about it this way. He says, messy spirituality is a scandalous assertion that following Christ is anything but neat and tidy, balanced and orderly. Far from it. Spirituality is complex, complicated, and perplexing. The disorderly, sloppy, chaotic look of authentic faith in a real world. 
It is a mixed up, topsy-turvy, helter-skelter godliness that turns our lives into an upside-down toboggan ride full of unexpected turns, surprise bumps, and bone-shattering crashes. In other words, messy spirituality is the delirious consequence of a life ruined by a Jesus who will love us right into his arms. I love that. I love that. That's, that's, that's where every one of us lives. In fact, he writes in his book, he says sometimes he kind of has this reoccurring dream that, they, that he's with these crowds of people following Jesus and that Jesus turns around and looks him straight in the eye and says, follow me. And as he steps forward to follow him, it's like Jesus says, no, not you, it's the guy behind you. <laughs> you ever felt like that? You ever felt like I don't deserve this kind of love? I have messed up so badly. Why would he want me? But that's the reality of who we are. And Paul, Paul, if there was anybody that looked like he had his act together, it was Paul, also known as Saul at the time. He was a, he was a, um, a Pharisee. He was a student of the Rabbi Gamaliel. He, he was very devout and dedicated to his faith, very devout in his, in his beliefs, and, and so much so that he made it his life's mission to stamp out these Christians, these followers of Jesus who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was right there when Stephen was stoned to death, giving his approval. He got extradition papers from the the Jewish council to go to Damascus to arrest these Christians there and bring them back to be tried. And it was on that trip to Damascus that, that he got literally knocked off his high horse and confronted by Jesus himself. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And God revealed himself to him and blinded him. And in that process, transformed his life. But here's the mess that he was left left with. All of those people who had been his friends, who were all against these Christ followers, now now he's one of their enemies. And and, and he goes to go back to Jerusalem to join the apostles, but, but... they're not too keen on him either. So now he looked like he had, he had everything together. He was doing everything right for it with God. Looked like he just had his act together. And now he finds himself in the middle of a mess in a no man's land. And he goes to go back to the apostles. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Yeah, I guess. Not believing that he really was a disciple. He can't go back to his friends who were part of those persecutors because he's one of them and these other guys now. And he, these other guys, they don't want him because they're not too sure if this is a real conversion or if he's just kind of trying to get an in so he can arrest all of them. And he finds himself in this mess and nowhere to go. He needs someone to bridge the gap. And that's where Barnabas comes in. Barnabas's name actually was Joseph, but he was given this nickname by the apostles there called Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, and that it's exactly what he was. And Barnabas went out and went to Paul. It says in verse 27, these words, but Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. He went to Saul. He joined him in that mess. And he put his reputation on the line. Because you're hanging out with that guy now? And then he's going to put his reputation on the line by bringing him in because he's going to vouch for him. And it's like, that's, that's risky stuff. When you join people in their mess, when you sit down and, and listen to them and, and, and work with them and get involved with them, there will be people who don't understand. 
When you take the risk of being with messy people, there will be people who will criticize you, there will be people who will question your motives, they'll, they'll, they'll all kinds of things against, them, against you. When we first planted Northgate, almost 30 years ago now, and we, were, we decided we were gonna be a church for unchurched people. And, and nowadays, that's, that's pretty common. There's a lot of churches that are kind of clued into this idea that we actually have a mission to reach unchurched people. But back then, it was like, why would you do that? A church for unchurched people? Wait a minute, church, pe- church people go to church. You know, how do you do a church for unchurched people? And I had people say, literally say things to me like this. Well, you're just telling people what they want to hear. You're watering down the gospel. You're just giving them church light. <laughs> you want to be a, a big fish in a small pond. You're, 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 you're a mile wide, but just an inch deep. And all these other things. And it was just people didn't understand because we were trying to reach unchurched people. And some of the biggest critics that we had were friends and church people. And that's what happens when you put your reputation on the line. There will be people who don't understand and who will criticize and question you and all of that stuff. But listen, Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation. In fact, if Jesus was worried about his reputation, he never would have left heaven. (laughs) He came and he put his reputation on the line. In fact, he was accused, these words, Matthew 11, 19, says that the son of, he said this about himself, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was his reputation. He can't be a prophet, he can't be a godly person, he can't be a rabbi, he can't be of God. Look at the people he hangs out with. If you're gonna love people in their mess, you've gotta join them in their mess. And sometimes that means risking your reputation. And even more than that, it's not just um, joining them in their mess, it's actually joining them in their story, actually coming alongside. For, for Barnabas to be able to bring Paul back to the other apostles, he had to have sat down and listened to Saul and let him tell the story. He had to know that background. He had to know, because see, here's what happens. When people get themselves in a mess, we are so quick to judge. We stand back and we look at the mess that they've made of their lives or or the mess that they're in, and we're quick to make condemnation and quick to make judgment without even recognizing or taking time to find out how they ended up in that mess. Joining someone in their story, joining them in their mess means coming alongside and being with them in that, and not just making a judgment or criticism or gossip behind their back about their mess, but to actually find out what happened. Tell me your story. It's been said at times that only Christians shoot their wounded, and unfortunately, that has been true. Someone fails, someone stumbles, someone deals with an addiction, someone struggles with a, with a compulsive behavior, and, and, and we're quick to criticize when what we need is people who will come alongside, joining them in their story. Um, I've been involved with Bethel, San Francisco now for the last, well, back since August, in, in, in this whole um, coming together of two churches. And we actually started a rooted group 
in San Francisco on Tuesday nights there. So I'm part of this Rooted group over there, which, by the way, if you have not taken part in Rooted here, let me just encourage you, get plugged into that. It's gonna be life-changing. It's a 10-week commitment, discipleship process, and it's not just book study. You actually get involved in doing things. And one of the things that you do is every group, every time you do a service project together, that you as a group go and serve in a particular area of need or, or a particular ministry. And last night was our serve opportunity. And so what we did as a group is that we went down to um, Teen Challenge, uh, had their, um, their annual uh, fundraiser for the year. And if you don't know what Teen Challenge is, it's been around for um, probably since the late 1950s, early 1960s. And it's a recovery house, a recovery ministry. And there are guys in the program who have made a mess of their lives in one way, shape, or form. Sometimes it was drugs, sometimes it was gangs, whatever it is, but they find themselves at a place where they've totally messed up their lives. And I had a chance to talk to a few of the guys that are in the program and, and just tell me your story. And, and they tell the story about how they ended up and, and you know, how they hit rock bottom. And then somebody, each one of them, somebody came alongside and joined them in the story and helped them get cleaned up and got them into the program. And I talked to one guy named Ralph, and, and he's got uh, three weeks left in the program. He's about to graduate. He actually had a relapse and had to come back into the program, but he says, my mind is clearer now than it has ever been. God is healing me from the inside out. I met another guy. Uh, his name was uh, Patrick, and he is now on staff at Teen Challenge. He's been through the program, graduated through the program, has gone back to school, and now he is one of the counselors, one of the staff members there at the house. It's an incredible thing. And see, that's what God does. He takes our messes and he redeems them and sometimes even uses the messes of our lives to do something powerful. It's his redemptive work. But it only happens if we're willing to join people in their mess. See, what Barnabas did, what happens is you get to chapter 11, and what happens is that um, when the persecution started in Jerusalem, the church scattered. And some of these believers that left Jerusalem for fear of their lives, a group of them ended up in a city called Antioch, Antioch of Syria. It's where uh, modern day Turkey, it's a city right there. Um, and what happened in, in, in Antioch was most of the first, first believers, first followers of Jesus were all Jewish who became followers of Jesus as the Messiah. But as they scattered, they got out all around the Mediterranean. In Antioch, what started happening in Antioch was it wasn't just Jewish converts now to Christianity, now there were Greeks and Romans. And so now you have this church that's, that's multicultural and, 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 and you know, trying to make all that stuff work. And so when the church in Jerusalem heard about it, they said, we need to send somebody out there to encourage these guys and to help them learn and grow in their faith and all this. So who did they pick? They picked Barnabas. And they sent him on to Antioch. And he went there and he spent some time there. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says, when he got there, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. See, Tarsus was only about another 80 miles or so down the road. So Barnabas gets to Antioch, and the church is growing, and people are coming to faith, and it's this multicultural, multi-ethnic conglomeration. He thinks, I need help with this. I need help with this. And he thinks, I know the perfect guy. Because you see, Paul was actually a Roman citizen. He was from Tarsus, which is actually not too far from Antioch. 
His mother had been Jewish, so he had been schooled in Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He had, he had knowledge of the Torah. He had great Bible background. He had the cultural experience, and he knew what it meant to feel like an outsider being welcomed into this new group. He was the perfect guy for the job. So Barnabas thinks, I know the guy. And he goes to Tarsus, a few miles down the road, brings Paul back with him, and they spent time together now leading this new church. It says in verse 26, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, I think that's significant, because you remember last week we talked about this. Jesus said the distinguishing characteristic of his followers were gonna be how they loved one another. He said, by this will all men know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. And I think, I believe, that when the people of Antioch saw what was happening with this group of people and the way that they cared for and loved each other, that's where the name came from. These are Christ followers. Look at how they love each other. And I think it was modeled by Barnabas and Paul. And it changed everything. This would not have happened without Barnabas, who went to find Saul and bring him in. Now, things kind of started to escalate because now more and more followers, Gentile followers, became followers of Jesus. And, and not just in Antioch, but kind of all around in these churches around the Mediterranean. And, and, and then it came down to, okay, now what are we gonna do with these new followers? Because you see, Beforehand, if you became a convert to Judaism, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. That was the mark of being now a follower of God. And so now the question is, well, are we gonna require that of these new followers of Jesus? Because they're not really converting to Judaism, they're becoming followers of Jesus, but we always know that when you become a convert, you gotta go through the circumcision thing. And this was not a, a, a simple answer. This was a theological answer. And they had to figure out what they were gonna do. And so they actually convened a council in Jerusalem and Peter was there because Peter had made some inroads into the Gentile community, and here comes Saul, and here comes Barnabas. And they meet together with the Jerusalem council and all the, the apostles and the elders of the church, and they got together and said, we gotta figure out what we're gonna do about all this, because we, we gotta know what we're, gonna, what we're gonna require. And Peter got up and he spoke about his experiences, and then Saul got up and Barnabas got up, and they all told about all these Gentiles who are now becoming followers of Jesus and how God is working in their lives, whether or not they're circumcised. And at the end of this big discussion, and going through this whole thing, at the very end, James stands up and he says, this is my conclusion. And it's long and wordy, but he sums it up in this one sentence. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now that was significant. We're not gonna require circumcision. We're not gonna require all these hoops that people have to jump through. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. That is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. <laughs> it's what I have staked my ministry on for the last 30 years. Not making it hard for people who are turning to God. And that decision wouldn't have come about without Barnabas, Peter, and Saul. See, what Barnabas understood was this guy named Saul, who later became known as Paul, his story was integral to this whole thing. He was the bridge between those two cultures, and he was the one who was gonna be able to speak to it, and in fact, he did. 
And he continued to go on to plant churches all around the Mediterranean. That Saul's story was actually a part of God's bigger story. And this message of love and acceptance and grace and inclusion were a big, big part of it. And God actually used Saul because of his experiences and the mess that he had made to now become a pillar in this new church, just starting out. And that's what happens. When you join people in their mess, you join them in their story and you help them see that their story is a part of God's bigger redemptive story in this world. And then there's one more thing. Because loving people in their mess is sometimes gonna mean standing with them even when they stumble. The last mention we have of Barnabas in the book of Acts is actually at the end of chapter 15. And, and what happens is after this decision is made, they're gonna send people out to all these churches all around the Mediterranean to make sure that they understand this is, this is how we're gonna to operate together as a church. We're not gonna make it hard for people who are turning to God. And, and Saul, now Paul, turned to Barnabas and said, you know, we ought to go. We need to go because some of these churches were churches that we helped plant. So let's go together, you and I, and we're gonna go back and we're gonna go encourage all of these churches. And Barnabas says, I'm in, I'm game, let me go get John Mark, we'll hit the, we'll hit the road. And Paul said, not so fast. Because see, John Mark had been with them on the first trip, but about halfway through the trip, John Mark bailed on him. We don't know why. We don't know if he was afraid of things, if he just got homesick. We don't know what the reason was, but he bailed on them in the middle of this missionary trip. And when it came down to it, he said, nope, I'm not taking Barnabas. In fact, we're told, Acts 15, 36, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. See, he had bailed on them the first time, and Paul says, this is too important. I'm not taking a quitter. I can't deal with him. I can't babysit this guy. We got more important things to do. And Barnabas said, no, no, no. We got to bring him along. He's, he needs a second chance. You know, he, he was young. He was inexperienced. He didn't know what he was coming up against. Whatever it was, let's bring him with him. And, and if you think this was just kind of a mild disagreement, it goes on. In the next verse, it says, they had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. This wasn't just a casual, no, I think we shot, no, I think, we, no, I know. No, this was like a very heated argument. The Greek word that's used there for sharp disagreement is paroxys, which is where we get our English word paroxysm, because I know you use that every day in English, right? <laughs> what it means is, it literally has this, the idea of, of convulsing, that, or, or, or a heated explosion, or, or a sharp disagreement, an angry outburst, a heated argument. They like almost came to blows over this whole thing. And it was so bad, they said, fine, you want, you want John Mark, you take him, you go, I'm, I'm done with you. And he, Paul took Silas and they went on. They went on the trip and left Barnabas behind. Barnabas hung with John Mark. Now, who was right in that? I mean, you can make a case, Paul, Paul, man, you, you look at, and the rest of the book of Acts is Paul going on these missionary journeys and planting churches all around the Mediterranean. Most of our New Testament is letters that he wrote to churches. He was key. He, 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 certainly he made the right decision. But then you look at Barnabas and he's hanging with Mark even though he had kind of stumbled along the way. But do you know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Mark is this Mark. He wrote one of the Gospels of Jesus. 
And Paul, Paul went on and, and planted these churches and then he wrote letters to these churches. That's what most of our New Testament is. But you know how many times in these letters to the churches he's talking to them about getting along with each other and, and, and settle your disputes and figure this out and love one another and all that kind of stuff? I wonder if every time he put pen to parchment and started writing one of these letters and trying to straighten out the messes that were going on in those churches if he didn't think back to his argument with Barnabas. I think you know Maybe I was a little too rough on him. Because he writes repeatedly about settling your differences and not coming to blows with each other and making allowances for each other. And then you find, then you find, at the very end of Paul's ministry, he's in prison and he writes a letter to one of his young protégés named Timothy, who is pastoring a church. In his second letter to Timothy, he writes these words. He says, I want you to come and help me and bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Years later, Paul writes and he says, yeah, I remember Mark. Yeah, maybe I was a little too hard on him. Right now, he could be a great help to me. And he welcomes him back. Who was right? Who was wrong? I think they were both right. They both had really good reasons and it was sad that it came to a sharp disagreement that they ended up parting company, but because God deals with all of us with our messes, he dealt with them with their mess and he redeemed both and both had great results. You never know. You never know what got people into the mess they're in. And you never know what God can do when he redeems it. See, that's why it's so important. Risk your reputation. Join with people in the middle of their mess and stand with them even when they stumble and fail. Bob Goff writes it this way about people who are becoming love. They don't feel a need to criticize people who have gotten a couple of things wrong or hit, hit a couple of sour notes in their lives. I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the end of the day more than a few times and realized that my untucked shirt was uneven at the bottom. Usually I'm just one button off, but sometimes two. <laughs> the fact is, some of the people who have shaped my faith the most were a couple of buttons off in theirs. They've made some big mistakes run toward these people, not away. There is a quiet confidence in knowing that we all hit a couple of wrong notes here and there. And the report card on our faith is how we treat one another when we do. Would you bow your heads with me? I am so glad that God didn't run from me in my mess. He ran to me. He was, as he runs to all of us, in the mistakes and the messes that we make in our lives. In a moment, we're gonna to share together in communion, commemorating and remembering together that that's our God who comes to us in our brokenness, who loves us in our weaknesses, and who doesn't give up on us when we stumble. But let me ask you as we close today, who in your life is in the middle of a mess? Could you be the one that could come alongside and be a part of God's redemptive work and maybe you've distanced yourself from them and you don't want to get involved, but maybe, maybe God wants you in that moment right now with them. Would you be willing to do that? Maybe even risk your reputation and all of it, but standing with people 
even if they've let you down more than once. It's the way that we're called to love. Maybe you're here and you're in a mess right now. And maybe it's not of your doing, but maybe you brought it on yourself. The good news is God does not run from you. He runs to you. And you can bring him the mess that you're in right now. And just admit your failure, admit your mistake, and and ask for his redemptive work. It's why he went to the cross. Even today, for the very first time, you can make that decision. And maybe you've been running from him. Maybe you've been broken by it. And maybe today, for the very first time, you would just say, God, I give up. Take me with this mess. Redeem it. Make me right again. I want to follow you. Would you join me in that prayer? Lord, every one of us in this room have made a mess of things from time to time. Some of us are right in the middle of it right now. We need your love. We need your grace and your forgiveness. We need to know that you run to us and fold us in your arms. So today, we come saying, take this mess. Forgive me, Lord. Make me right. Redeem this if you can for your kingdom's sake. I'm putting my life in your hands. And where I could be that extension of your love to the people, the messy people in my life, Lord, I'm available. However you could use me. Do that, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.